Hi, this is Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. And this week, coming to us live from New York City, is Mr. Denny Daniel, who is a very fascinating man. He runs and operates and curated and founded the Museum of Interesting Things, which if you live in the New York area, use a must-see. So you may be wondering, why is Coffin Talk having an expert of all things antiquity on our show? Well, it should be obvious. It's because he's dealing with old things from the past, and we're going to talk about that link as well as many other things. So without further delay, Denny, how are you doing today? Good. It's been a fun day. Awesome. So let's just jump right into like the actual Museum of Interesting Things. Um, how long ago did you come up with the idea, and what was it like to start that? So it started, um, believe it or not, I'm almost on my bar mitzvah. It's uh, about 12 years or so, and it started in my apartment. Uh, I was already a freelancer, but it seemed that my emancipation from full-time jobs wasn't really an emancipation because now I had a lot of, you know, nutty bosses instead of one. Uh, And I thought, hmm. And I always tell people, people ask, what is the impetus to starting any entrepreneurial thing? Uh, And for most uh, entrepreneurs, it's two things. A, a passion for something, and B, bad bosses. (laughs) So... This was my Shawshank redemption. <laughs> so I, I, my friends used to throw these uh, birthday parties in my apartment, and my friends had interesting friends, uh, writers for Mad Magazine, writers for The Onion, DJs on WBAI. And those are my guinea pigs uh, telling these interesting stories of the things I had around the place. Um, and that's why they threw their parties there. I had lots of interesting things around. And then I thought, maybe I can try this in my school and teach kids you know, using these stories to show history. And the first show we did, uh, newspapers said they wouldn't show up. And they showed up and gave me front page articles with color photography, the Tribune, the Chronicle. Yeah, I, I was like, oh my God, I touched a nerve. And then about five years later, I thought someone someone basically stalked me, found out that, a, that it started in my apartment and said, I'd like to see your apartment. And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, Oh, please. I said, no, no, we go to schools and we teach. We go to libraries. That's what we do. I don't do tours in my apartment. And he's like, please, I want to do something for my family that's not allowed, that's never been done. And I said, oh, God. Um, So I decided to do it. And then news station, New York One News, picked up on it. And they came to my apartment, documented it. And they played it on TV for three days every half hour on the news. And now I had to open because the entire all of New York knew about it. Um, and then we started doing a speakeasy as a benefit to help, you know, uh, support the museum, especially during COVID. So once a week, uh, I do a virtual and live speak where I show 16 millimeter film. So even if people are not in New York, I've got people that come in every week from California and Boston and even New Jersey and Pennsylvania. They'll come in and, you know, check out the antiques and check out films. That's so cool. Have you always had a fascination with antiques and history, or is it more history, or is it more antiques? Hey, everyone. If you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P dot com. Thanks. Um, it's both, and it's patterns. I was always fascinated with patterns. I call it all the links in the chain until you get to your iPhone your television, your radio, your pair of pads, you know, your chair, whatever it is. Um, I like those patterns and I like seeing, you know, the, the historical progression towards them uh, from beginning to end. And that continues forever because 
there's always something new coming wow, up. Wow, that's really special. And so you went to NYU. So are you like from the city like originally or did you move there at a young age? Um, I'm a born and raised New York City kid. Uh, I grew up in Forest Hills and then, you know, moved to Jamaica States. And, you know, I, I, was, I now live in the city. Uh, although I've been staying a lot in Queens these days to take care of my mom. Um, but yeah, born and raised New Yorker, last of a dying species. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. Um, and uh, I should mention just to our audience that my brother is our um, booking manager, and so he gets us some great guests. And so he was the person who got in contact with you. And I'm going to assume, although I didn't talk to him directly about it, he loves antiques and history. And so I'm assuming he's actually been physically to the museum. He's probably brought his daughters with him. But um, my point is he he's fascinated with New York City and loves it and has lived there. And uh, the reason he w really wanted you to come on is that he felt like you had a real special ability to like see the connections that you just spoke about. So I am curious, is there any spiritual element to the work you do specifically with this museum and antiques? Very much. It's a huge part of especially the by appointment apartment shows um, because I actually have, well, we had a spirit show the whole time in many factors. We had a 16 millimeter film show where I show films that have to do with spirits and magic and all that. But in the apartment, at one point, I talk about magic lanterns. And if you don't know what that is, those were projectors, the first projectors that used oil lamps, uh, candles and oil lamps. And they were basically PowerPoint before PowerPoint. Um, and there were thousands of them. So even Thomas Edison sold magic lantern presentations out of a catalog. So PowerPoint did not invent this. You can buy them out of a catalog. And it came with two things, glass slides, your PowerPoint slides, and a booklet you read from your presentation. So it really was PowerPoint before PowerPoint. And at one point, they started using them for and seances to bring back your grandma, <laughs> your great grandma. And there's a guy you know that believed in this. There's a guy you know that believed in it so much, he wrote a book on it. And one of my other majors at NYU is literature. And I have a first edition copy of that book that I literally put in people's hands during the presentations. That writer was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the writer of Sherlock Holmes. And he believed in, for, for people listening to this that don't remember, they're like, I know that name. The writer of the most logical detective in the world. And the book is called The Case for Spirit Photography. So I, I literally put in people's hands that book and I open it up and I show them a picture of basically two people with a giant spirit right behind them. And he didn't just write one book on it. He wrote five and I I bought for the museum all five books, first edition copies. There's a guy you know that didn't believe in it. And that was, you may know, Harry Houdini, who went to seances to debunk them. And he, of course, argued with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle about it. And during my presentation, I tell people that in 1923, rumor has it that Harry Houdini unfriended Sir Arthur Conan Doyle on Facebook. <laughs> and then I tell people I have the proof he didn't because I actually have Harry Houdini's book also, A Magician Among the Spirits. And he has a picture of him with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle right in the title page as friends, even though they argued. That's very cool. And that's also very refreshing in this era of uh, constant online arguing and defriending, as you alluded to. So that's 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 very cool. I have like four questions related to items and answer them however you please. But the first one would be, what is your personally favorite item that you possess that's in the museum? So there's like 
16,000 fans and everyone is so curious because there's so many interesting items and they love them. They always go, what is your favorite? And it was so hard to answer at first because there's so many favorites. And I tend to be very passionate about each item I get. I'm like, wow, I just got this. I can't believe it. You know. So now I've realized that there's favorites in genres. So for photography, it would be my mutoscope, which you'd know is a Nickelodeon. Uh, which I have the film uh, George Melies' Trip to the Moon for my Nickelodeon. Wow. And he actually started as a magician. I don't know if you know that. Oh, my gosh. For music, it is my baby, which is the local the logo on the website, the Thomas Edison cylinder record player. I absolutely adore that thing. I have one here that will play a small clip of a song for you guys uh, later. Um and then, you know, for Quack Medical, there's a there's uh, one or two things, but probably the the violet wands, the violetta wands, which gave you kind of a Tesla shock <laughs> uh, of electricity and would cure you of everything from rheumatism to bedwetting. That shock probably caused your bedwetting. Uh, and then, and I actually lecture for doctors. I get flown around the country to lecture at doctor conventions and teach them about quack medicine, which works perfectly with your death uh, theme, because if you're dead, you're not sick. So the quack medicine works. That's my punchline for that. Or I like to say that our quack medical show is to die for. <laughs> and I'll be doing one ironically on 9-11. I'm gonna be doing our quack medical show uh, for a doctor's convention here in New York, um, and then later show, doing the films. As you're going through all these things, my mind is naturally curious. Um, what is the best way to procure something like very special, like these items? Like, do you go to trade shows? Do you fly to Europe? Like, uh, I mean, I know you mentioned several American items. How does one go about it? if someone who's listening wanted to start their own museum? <laughs> well, I tell people I'm not trying to make collectors. I'm trying to empower people with knowledge. But if someone's a collect, but there's lots of collectors out there, and it's almost every permutation works. There's there's many ways to skin a cat. I have to apologize to my cat is two feet away. Um, but you know, from the internet is really convenient. But when the the museum's gone on tour, we've gone as far as Oklahoma, California. And as I go on tour, I find these, you know, antique shops and antique malls and everything. And I'll fill the car with double the amount of items. And we get a lot of donations now. A lot of people know that I teach kids and teach adults because I, I lecture at NYU now. And people will come to the speakeasy with bags full of things saying, you know, I used to collect this. I used to, like, And they'll bring me stuff. They'll say, I want it to go somewhere where people get a chance to learn from it. So I get a lot of donations too. So it's almost every permutation. Very cool. And uh, so my last question in this subcategory of questions would be, what is the item you currently have your eyes on that you most want but have yet to attain? Uh, the Holy Grail. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of Holy Grail items. There's a, there's a couple of films I want, some more George Melies stuff. There's one film of his that I can never seem to find. I saw it once, five, 10 years ago, poof, gone. Um, there's, you know, there's some Edison Cylinders songs that I've, you know, that I'm always looking for here and there. Um, and a trip to Hawaii. Did I mention that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this show is is kind of interesting because it's a philosophical but also history and everything else show. And we, we do whatever we feel like. But I always ask every guest, what do you think happens when you die? And so you're not going to be any exception to that. But I am curious, as we move into the metaphysical and everything, do you believe that items carry any mystique to them 
I've got your answer. It's a very important piece of what I do. Um, and it's something I learned before I even started the museum and was the reason why I started the museum. Those parties in my apartment, you know, we would talk and talk and I found that it would take until four o'clock in the morning and a whole lot of alcohol before anyone agreed to anything. But yet the, the items in the room, as soon as they walked in, people would be positive, they'd be curious, they'd be happy, they'd agree, everything was good. And I'm like, there's something about the energy of these items. So I realized that there's kind of three components. The energy of the original spirit, the person that made the item, Thomas Edison, Tesla, whoever it is. So their energy and their idealism and their philosophy and ethics are embedded inside the items. You can tell because as soon as people walk through the door, they already cop this feeling of like smiling and, 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 and good feelings and positivity. Then there's all the 100 years, 50 years, however old the item is, all the people that owned it and loved it and used it and their energy is embedded in that. So that use and that that history, that 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 legacy that you know that it has, that's embedded in the item now. And you can sense that all the humans that owned it, you know, let's say their ghosts or their energy or whatever, you know, their nature, whatever you believe, it doesn't matter to me, it's all good. Um, and then the third energy is ours now, the current energy of us walking in and using it and and me, you know, using it and all that. So it's kind of got three components. And that gets people on the page much better, much faster than any lecture. People put a wall when you lecture. The items bring us back. The country is not dead. The world isn't falling apart. We are not de-evolving like Devo. <laughs> it's all still it's all still in our in our hearts. I told you there's 16,000 people, people on the email list. They Every one of them walked through the door and had the same reaction you think is gone. Half the public, the media is telling us it's dead. It's not dead at all. It's in our hearts. How does it, we, we just need something to bring it out. And the energy of these items, the history of these items is what brings that out. It's why you do this radio show, because you're bringing that out of people using that. And why Sam teaches in a school and brings it out using his art form. I mean, that was just very profound, very compelling, and uh, exactly what we're looking for on the show. So I cannot thank you enough. Um, wow, that was a, a fantastic question. So with no further delay, I would love to hear, what do you think happens when you die? And I mean specifically to Denny Daniel. So my father just passed. That's why I'm here in this in my childhood uh, room instead of my apartment in Manhattan. My mom was orphaned as a child. Uh, Stalin uh, made it so her father died, and then Shaw and all that. She was buried alive uh, when she was a child, when she was like nine or 10. And uh, my father knew her, he was 10 years older, he used to walk her to school and help save her life. Um, so when my father died, that was the only person she knew. Uh, he in fact was smuggling Jews out of Persia and Iraq into Israel. So he helped smuggle her and save her life. Um, so when he died, I thought to myself, okay, there's there's logically, there's only, and I have a whole philosophy behind this that I'd love to tell you. I, there's, only th there's only three options that can happen when you die. You either die and it's nothing. You become a rock, you're done, there's nothing. Or you die and there's some sort of consciousness, but it's not your identity. There's no more Mike, there's no more Elena, there's no more Denny. You die and you become this 
whatever the hell in the cosmos, in nature, you become one with whatever, whatever you want, but there's no, there's no Bob, there's no John, it's just gone. Or you die and there is identity and you live on, but there is identity as well. So, because you can't have it both ways. You can't, you can't have half of Mike. You can't die and have half your identity. You know what? I only remember the first five years of my life, but the rest of it's gone. You either die and remember yourself or you die and you don't remember yourself or there is no life after death. Those are the only real three options if you've, if you've ever studied philosophy. So we can distill it down to those. So some people believe in one, the other. They're like, I'm an atheist. There's not, I don't care. Here's my opinion. You bet on the positive because it's a win-win. If there's option A and there's nothing and the whole time I spoke to my father my whole life i said oh i call him abba abba save me here you know i don't know what to do this and that if there was nothing then i spoke to no one right but i enjoyed my and when i die i'll never know that if there's nothing right i'll never know that i that i lost lotto that i bet the numbers but i lost i'll never know that if there's no life after death but here's the advantage my whole life i thought i was talking to my dad my whole life, I enjoyed what I thought was his opinion, was his advice, was his manipulating the situation. He didn't do anything. Nothing happened. There's no life after death and there's nothing. But I enjoyed my whole darn life. If I lived 90 years, I had a good 90 years. Something. So you win. If there's a life after death and there's no identity, you still win. Because A, there's a life after death. And B, you enjoyed your life. As I said, you spoke to your dad, you enjoyed his company, even though there's no identity, you had a positive life because of the experience. You still win. The third option, you double win because <laughs> you spoke to your dad your whole life and there is a life after death with identity. He heard you. I love it. But, but if you bet on the negative, you only win once or twice. You don't win all three times because the third time where if there's nothing, then there's nothing if you bet on the negative. But if you bet on the negative and he was around, there was a life after death. Then he said, what the hell were you doing, you idiot? You could have spoken to me for the other 40 years. I was talking to you. You thought I was nothing. You thought I was a rock. There was life after death. There was my identity. I was trying to help you, you schmuck. <laughs> so you lose. I, I could not agree more. And it's it's interesting, too, because I've always thought about this, but I've never articulated the way I'm about to. But um, also, why do you want to be right and have and be right about a bad outcome? Wouldn't it be better to want to be right about a good one? So it's also about optimistic versus pessimistic thinking and then just like the ego's desire not to be fooled. Um, because I think that's a lot of people don't want to be foolish. They don't want to believe in ghosts. They don't want to believe in energy, spirits, and all these things. And again, I'm not a person who does or doesn't believe in them. I'm a host of a show. I see that point, but you're right. When you bet on when you bet on the positive instead of the negative, if you were wrong, you won twice. Yeah. You brought up Stalin-era Russia, which is like another, you know, huge obsession of mine. Uh, I'm also Jewish, and, you know, uh, my family moved from Germany, and they moved way before World War II, but... Um, I find often that the children of people who survived something like truly, truly brutal, like the World War II, post-World War II era that you described with your mother and father, 
that they have a very different perspective than the rest of us American kids who just like grow up here and have never experienced war, let alone with parents who grew up in an area affected by war, which is very different from serving in a war. So like my grandfather served in World War II, but then he came home and talked about it. Do you think that people should be more vigilant and paying attention to geopolitics to prevent war? Or do you think it's better to instead focus on the joys you have that are right in front of you while you still have them, perhaps? So my philosophy, whether you're arguing with a, with a friend, a wife, or you're talking about anything, is that in life, nothing is ever black and white. It's always gray. Uh, if it's black and white, you probably got it wrong. You're not listening to someone. You're missing information. Um, so in that answer, same thing. Um, it's a little bit of each. It's a smorgasbord. Uh, you you want to understand uh, both sides of that perspective. Uh, you want to know geopolitics and you want to understand. And I love, you know, you know, learning, you know, watching the news, learning what's going on. But at the same time, you want to enjoy the here and now. There's a proverb for that for a reason, you know. Um, you want to you want to live for the moment too sometimes, and and enjoy and stop and smell the roses. Uh, today, you know, I was walking around with my friend. We stopped by Macy's. All of a sudden, we find out the guy performing in front of Macy's is a friend of mine. And I walked over and introduced her, and she was like, "You know everybody," <laughs> but but you were also like, "You know, this is a really good moment." We sat. She's like, "Do you want to sit down?" I'm like, first of all, we should support the band because you know, <laughs> I know. First of all, I know them, but even if we didn't. But second of all, I looked at her and I said, "Look around us. This is a great moment. This is a memory day. You know." And that's important to stop and remember. This is a memory day so that we can later look back on it and appreciate it. Yeah, that's a great answer. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Is there an item right now that you think people will covet in the future? So like people throw things away and then we want them like, um, you know, the baseball card fad from the 50s. But then in the 90s, everyone my age, we all kept our baseball cards and there was no point. Everyone kept them. So what do you think? Is something like speculatively speaking that we might be ignoring right now that will be valuable to the future? The things that that we take for granted that are part of pop culture often will be that way. Things that are fleeting, like newspapers, will be that way because we're all dealing with digital. So the things that la that that we believed in that are still around, like newspapers, will end up being very very rare and bizarre. When back then, the moon landing. Everyone ran out and bought the stupid newspaper, and now it's like, you know, I've got like 10 papers with the moon landing on it, you know, in the collection, you know, because every every kid was like, I'm going to save this, you know, I'm going to pay rent with this someday, and I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> like, I mean, they are worth more than you paid, but I mean, it's not worth like $1,000 or something. It'll, but now that's actually more possible almost than it was then, because now everything is so... You know, I tell people to, you know, we laugh at the pyramids and we laugh at the Incas. Ah, you don't know. How, they didn't even know how they built it. There's no documentation. Great. Uh, Mike, my entire, you know, dissertation, you know, the Ph.D., my sister is all on a 10 inch floppy from 1970. <laughs> yes. Well said. You can't. You're laughing now. I want you to take that floppy to the Sahara Desert. And I want you to bury it 20 feet in the sand. And then I want you to rain on it and have camels poop on it for 5,782 years. And then use that. You can't even drop your iPhone twice. <laughs> we laugh at the Egyptians? Ha! Their ghosts are laughing at us. 
going, really? Danny, I gotta, I gotta admit, you're a very funny and interesting man, and I was not expecting to be laughing this much on a podcast I'm hosting. I'm, I'm floored by it. And gosh, you have so many different things you could talk about. So, uh, what is the one thing, if you can get across to our audience, that you would like to tell them? Well, first of all, we should definitely play a moment of this Edison. That's wow. I am. I mean, I love history and I love in particular music and the history of music and, and the fact that science was both ahead of itself and behind itself with all these things, you know, because I mean, the, the capacity to record um, film and to record sound was was around a lot longer than people think. And then it was just it took forever for it to synchronize into like the first talkie. But this is just so wonderful to hear that. And thank you again for all of your wisdom and knowledge. Um, I still would love to give you a chance to say what you want, something you would like to just say, like about life in general, philosophy, uh, antiques. It's up to you. Well, first of all, the most important thing that people should know about what the museum is, is trying to spread this, what I call my mitzvah job. So libraries, schools are the whole purpose behind it. So if people are like, yes, I want you to do this event. I want you to do this library. I want you to do this school. If you have kids, say, hey, he can do this virtually. It's very important to spread the message that we're, you and me and, you know, Sam, all, we, all of us are doing, which is that message of curiosity and positivity and, and just learning all the time from the past. So now you might want to think that I'd say, so we don't repeat it. But then I prefer to quote Mark Twain, who said, history does not repeat itself, but it does rhyme. <laughs> And I've always loved that because you never get a second Hitler. It doesn't repeat. You get someone similar. And that's why we get fooled because we think it's not what happened. And it is. <laughs> wow. That is deep, profound, a little eerie and not the most optimistic thing. But also if someone's listening carefully, it is optimistic. You can sense the rhyme coming. And if you just stay positive, then it fixes on its own. Because if we all realize that we're on the same page, even if we disagree, um, then we end up positive. And, ooh, I'll leave you an interesting philosophy that I just came up with recently about, you know, arguments. And you're going to go, and uh, this will help your marriage. This will help businesses. This will help everyone listening to this in some sort of way, shape, or form, I hope. Um, and at first you're going to go, what? Are you trying to get my wife to divorce me? <laughs> the first thing I'm going to say is the next time you have an argument, don't listen to the argument. And right now your wife is, go, Elena is going, okay, I'm going to, I love Denny until now. Now I'm going to kill him. <laughs> but it's true. Don't listen to the argument. You want to listen to the concern. Because the concern is the source of, the, of everything. The argument is everyone screaming at each other and angry. When you listen to the concern, you find out that you actually agree with your wife or your husband or your business partner or friend, because everyone's concerned with the same things. We're concerned with health, prosperity, being happy. Everyone's concerned with the same thing. If you find out what their concern is, then you can, then you have common ground. Oh, you're, you're looking to make money. You're looking to become successful, but you want to do it like this. I want to, but now you have common ground. You can say, 
okay, let's find a way to get to that goal, to your concern, where we can compromise. That's where you can find compromise. It's kind of like saying, I'm, we're both trying to get to 8th Avenue and 14th Street, but I like 5th Avenue to get there. You like Broadway. But now that we know that the end result is 8th Avenue and 14th Street, let's just get there. Who cares which street we take to it? Once you understand concern, you can, you can compromise. I definitely loved that, and it's absolutely profound, and I could not agree more. So Denny Daniel from New York City runs the Museum of Things. Thank you again so much for coming on our show. Um, we are humbled not only by you and the work you do, but your wisdom, which was profound. To everyone listening at home, you have been listening to another episode of Coffin Talk. My name is Mike Oppenheim. Uh, the best thing you can do to support the show is simply subscribe and maybe tell a friend. And of course, head over to MikeyOp.com, M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com and sign up for free to the complete package that comes with the podcast. Uh, other than that, we got not much to say except uh, do listen to Denny Daniel and stay positive, and we will see you soon.